Welcome back to the podcast series from Square Mile, Behind the Screens, hosted by me, Jock Glover, Strategic Relationships Director here at Square Mile Investment Consulting and Research. In this series of podcasts where we meet members of investment teams from across the asset management industry whose funds we like and rate and spend 15 minutes or so chatting to them to get some insight into their thinking. This week, we have another first. We're talking to a manager whose fund has a 3D rating. For those of you who don't know what a 3D rating is, they're awarded to responsible investment funds that have been assessed against the 3D framework of doing good, avoiding harm and leading change. And this enables funds to be compared in a systematic and objective by way of a consistent profiling. George Crowdy is one of the managers uh, to Royal London Asset Management, and he manages, amongst other things, uh, the Royal London Asset Management Sustainable Growth Fund, uh, which has got a 3D rating, and it seeks to invest in the debt and equity of companies which either offer solutions to environmental or social challenges or evidence strong integration of VSG factors into their business operations. George, welcome. Well, thank you very much for having me. Really nice to speak to you this morning. George, um, I'm going to start with uh, what might or might not be a challenging question. Um, over the last 12, 18 months, having had a strong period of demand from uh, consumers and advisors, uh, the sustainable funds market looks like it's been rather more unloved as performances dropped off post what started in Ukraine in February last year and things. Um, have you seen uh, that with your fund? And uh, uh, and where do we go from here? Yeah, it's a really good question. I mean, I think you've got to take a bit of a step back and look at the last three years in total. And I think it's fair to say 2020 and 2021 were phenomenally good years to be a sustainable investor. Really, you know, the parts of the market that we often find the most attractive investment opportunities, sectors like technology, sectors like healthcare, all had huge tailwinds as they were really providing solutions to the pandemic. 2022, in particular, the first half was certainly more challenging. Um, really, the year started being characterized by high inflation, resilient economic growth, and really the start of central banks having to raise interest rates very significantly to the levels that we, we now are today. And that was an environment really where you know, a lot of the parts of the market that we, we typically don't invest in for sustainability reasons, things like commodities, things like fossil fuels, all did perform very strongly. Um, but actually, you know, looking back over the past 12 months, actually, all of our sustainable funds have done very well. Um, all of our sustainable equity funds are in, are in the first quartile on a 12-month basis uh, as I speak to you today. And I think there's a couple of reasons for that. I mean, firstly, the technology sector, um, particularly in the back half of, of 2022 has since performed very strongly. I mean, it's the best performing sector year to date. I think there's a number of reasons for that. I think, you know, things like the excitement around artificial intelligence, uh, the fact that many of these technology companies are becoming more disciplined in the way that they manage their cost bases. And also, I think the view that particularly in the US, we are perhaps past the peak in interest rates. And, you know, when you actually look at longer term interest rate expectations, which are typically what equity valuations are, are based off, they are actually in an okay position at the moment. And I think, again, that's been quite supportive for com some of those longer duration, more innovative type companies in, in sectors like technology. Um, at the same time, you know, many of those parts of the market that did perform very strongly, particularly in the first half of 2022, sectors like 
the energy sector, uh, commodity companies, mining companies that we, we don't have any exposure to um, have been struggling quite a bit more. And I think there, there's a number of reasons for that, too. I mean, you know, we certainly seem to be getting ever closer to this uh, global economic slowdown that everyone keeps talking about. Um, but also, I, I think it's fair to say that China reopening following um, the easing of their pandemic restrictions really hasn't uh, been quite, quite as exciting for those sorts of companies as um, some people would have expected six, eight months ago. George, the the fund that we're talking about today, um, the Sustainable Growth Fund, that's a multi-asset fund, isn't it? So you've got a bit of debt in there as well as equities exposure. How's how's that changed uh, your allocations over the course of the last 12, 18 months then as those sectors have swung from the commodities and old f- fossil fuels to the to the um, technology type stocks o- over that period? Yeah. So, you know, we manage a range of funds on our sustainable team. I mean, we manage 100% equity funds. So we've got one global equity fund, one uh, more focused on UK equities. And then we've got four mixed asset funds, as you say. And the way we manage yeah. these mixed asset funds is with a static asset allocation. So we're not taking a bet on whether equities or credit are more interesting at a particular point in time. It's it's really the performance of each one of those funds is driven up driven by that bottom up stock and bond selection. Um, so, but uh, but within that, so so the asset mix doesn't change. The strategic asset allocation doesn't change very much. But within that, have you had to change? Uh, some of the sectors and the, and the stocks that you've been selecting, or some of the bonds that you've yeah, been selecting. Yeah, yeah, no, I think I think that's fair. I mean, um, when we think about you know over the last three or so years, we've we basically had have had kind of two periods of slightly elevated portfolio turnover. I mean, typically we're very long term investors with average holding periods anywhere between sort of eight to ten years on the equity side. Yeah. Um, but you know, we were much more active in in. In, in March, April 2020, as really the market was presenting great opportunities to buy world's best businesses at incredibly attractive valuations, we felt. And then we've been a bit more active over the past eight months or so, really as we are increasingly of the belief that you know the next three to five years in economies and in markets are likely to be pretty different to the last three to five years and really an environment that we think is more likely to be characterized by interest rates and inflation in the three to four percent range rather than much lower levels we've been used to. And, and and really what that's meant in terms of portfolio activity has been a reduction in some of those higher growth, higher valuation names, particularly companies listed in the US and adding to more economically resilient type names and actually you know broadening the fund in terms of different geographies it's exposed to, different types of business models and different sectors as well. So you know, I think when you look at our portfolios today, they are more diversified than they would have been 18 months ago. And, and well, obviously, technology, I guess, is a theme, given that you uh, think that that's, um, well, your performance has been good over the last 12 months, and that's been driving performance. And that's an obvious uh, enabler of uh, businesses and, and people uh, becoming more sustainable in their behaviours over time. What other themes do you run in the portfolios, um, given you've got that sort of long-term horizon where you think, that, that sectors will be uh, additive in terms of returns. Yeah, I mean, the other pretty big theme in the portfolio, which kind of runs in parallel to our kind of digitalization theme, is really one based around what's happening in the physical world. And I think the physical world is actually an area which has been 
in many cases underinvested and I think in many cases overlooked by investors. But actually, we can see quite a lot of things changing there that we think make it a very exciting place to be looking for new investment opportunities. I mean, things like electrification, um, things like reshoring of manufacturing, particularly in countries like the US, the huge amount of stimulus programs going towards these sorts of things, be it things like the EU Green Deal, the US Inflation Reduction Act, uh, the US CHIPS Act. I think these are all incredibly exciting and powerful drivers for finding investment opportunities in the physical world. So, you know, we've been adding exposure to certain construction related names, companies exposed to things like HVAC, so heating, ventilation, and air conditioning companies, um, which, you know, are very well aligned with a, you know, a, a warming world and are, are a big driver of uh, energy consumption within buildings. Um, so we can really find a lot of Different, but even like you know, going back to transport infrastructure as well. I mean, certain companies within the within the rail sector we think um, offer very attractive risk rewards at the moment. So yeah, that that physical world theme is certainly something that we're we're increasingly excited about as kind of you know the, the evidence that this money really is being spent and really is is happening at the moment. Um, can I just uh, ask a question about the the construction sector? Because I I think some people might think that. Um, you know the creation of large amounts of concrete or cement or whatever, um, uh, and that sort of thing isn't terribly um, sustainable or eco-friendly. But in terms of building works, how does how do you rationalise that from a, an investor's point of view? Running this type of a strategy, because obviously we need to do lots of that to get the infrastructure in place to move away from the fossil fuels side of things. Yeah. You know, that's, that's absolutely right. We need to really upgrade our infrastructure. And there's so many different aspects of infrastructure, be it the electrical and the sort of energy infrastructure um, as we transition to a, a more de- decentralized, low-carbon grid. Um, you've got things like our transport infrastructure. Um, you've, you've got, you know, across so many. And, and then you've just got general buildings, you know. And, and, and there, you know, there's a huge amount of industry that's being brought back to places like the US. And, you know, we, we want these buildings that are being built there to be more environmentally friendly than, you know, what they're replacing in other parts of the world in many cases. Um, so there's a lot of geopolitical factors which are driving a lot of these trends as well. But there's a lot of very sustainable companies which are providing the solutions for this, um, which is where we're kind of spending our time and, and allocating capital. Now, you mentioned that you're part of a, a wider team and Mike, Fox and Sebastian help run these portfolios with you. Um, how do you three split it up? I mean, do you sort of have sector specialisations or asset class specialisations or uh, are, are you all generalists? So we're, we're a team of generalists. Um, and so there's seven of us on the team. Um, and, and, you know, I think that leads to a much better debate around where we should be allocating clients' money at the end of the day. Um, you know, people undoubtedly have their areas for which they prefer spending their time. But, you know, we very much don't like the idea of one person being the expert on one particular thing. And, and you know, we, we have very lively debates on, on all companies that we're invested in or looking at uh, as, as part of our weeks. Um, so, no, we, we are all generalist portfolio managers um, and we work with a team of generalist analysts as well. Um, when it comes to so, so are the analysts coming up with ideas that you then debate as a broader team, or is how how does it work in terms of identifying those companies with those long term themes that you talked about earlier? Yeah, so you know anyone on the team can come up with a potentially new idea, and we've got a, a, a very robust process in the way that we kind of 
uh, do a shorter note on a company, discuss it as a team, think if we think it warrants more work. And then if we do, then, you know, the analysts on our team produce sort of 30, 40 page, very deep dive research notes, uh, spending a lot of time on sustainability and financial characteristics of that particular company, which we then discuss. And, and then it's really a case of, is this a, a better use of capital than um, things that we're currently invested in, uh, in terms of whether it does or doesn't go into the portfolio? And as a team, what keeps you up at night? What, what is it that makes you worried, nervous? Uh, you said you've got a static strategic asset allocation. So I'm guessing that the big macro calls sh- won't shift things around too much. But what is it that keeps you awake and, and, and worried? Yeah, yeah no, it's, it's a really good question. I think, um, I think we certainly have a bias towards investing in great businesses. So you know, it's, it's less about worrying about underlying companies per se it's it's i think today it's really you know even though we don't change our asset allocation between credit and equities in our mixed asset funds the type of equities you'd want to be investing in at a particular point in time in a particular macro backdrop does vary and i think you know at this point in time the macro backdrop does remain very complex and very confusing i mean you know markets have performed uh, very well year to date there's certainly uh, the correlation between equity and bond markets does seem to have broken down. And you know, I think as well, what the market's telling you and what the US Federal Reserve are telling you are also in direct conflict as well. And you know, I think the next six or so months will be very important to really working out kind of where the long-term inflation interest rate levels, particularly in the US, are going to be. Um, and there's a wide range of outcomes in that, I think. So, well, talking about interest rates and, and inflation levels, this is my favourite question of the of the week. Whenever I do one of these podcasts, do you have an interesting statistic um, for the week or, or the last week or two that you've heard? Because I was told by uh, one of my previous interviewees, um, there's no such thing as an interesting statistic. Um, so, uh, have you got one for for, for the listeners? I mean, I think, uh, yeah, part of, part of my job is uh, looking at in- interesting statistics basically all day long. So that that's one of the reasons that uh, I, think, I think it's such an interesting role. But um, I mean, one thing that particularly stood out was just related to Microsoft, which really is a company that's right at the heart of kind of all things uh, enabling artificial intelligence at the moment. And, and this came to light because of uh, their acquisition of Activision going through the, the regulation um, regulatory hurdles at the moment. So some internal documents came to the public light, but really highlighted just how bullish their management team is on their future growth opportunities. And really, these were documents which suggested that this is a company where the management team think that they can very much grow at uh, mid-teens revenue growth uh, out to the end of this decade. And you know, that there was talk around this company becoming close to $500 billion in revenue by 2030 versus around $200 billion today. And I think it, why, why, why do I flag that? I think it's really just highlights that the, there are enormously large companies out there that are still able to grow at incredibly impressive rates because of, you know, some of these new technologies which are coming about. Um, so yeah, you know, when I when I started my career, I, I certainly took the view that you'd, you'd find more growth in smaller companies, and these kind of mega caps would struggle. And I think you know the last few years have really suggested that that's very much not the case. And some of these kind of platform type businesses really don't seem to have too much of a limit to their their ability to grow. I'm mean, to grow your revenues from 200, 200 billion, did you say, to five hundred billion over the next ten years on a mega cap stock like Microsoft? That's quite staggering, isn't it? Yeah, I mean, you know, 
the, the street is certainly not at that level, but some of these internal documents did just suggest quite how significant some of these incremental growth drivers from things such as artificial intelligence could be to a business like that. And, and also just quite how early we are in cloud computing, potentially, and how big yeah. a market opportunity that could be. Yeah, absolutely. But it, it's phenomenal numbers, um, absolutely. And so uh, uh, the, the final question, I suppose, is um, if we watch this space going forward and the, and the sustainable space that you're managing this money in, uh, technology is a theme that's kept on coming up during the course of this conversation. But uh, is that the theme to keep a, a closest eye on over the next 10 years? Or is there other stuff as well that uh, investors ought to be aware of, of coming down the pipeline? I think the most exciting thing is that it's a lot more than just technology now. I think for the right. last 10 years, technology was a really important story. Whereas now, you know, some of the things we're seeing in the physical world, um, the drive towards decarbonization across all sectors, and also really the pandemic highlighting just the need for more resilient healthcare systems globally as well. I think all of these areas, you can build a really exciting portfolio that with really attractive structural growth drivers for the next, you know, the coming five to 10 years, I think. Well, I think on that note, we'll we'll finish up. George, it's been an absolute pleasure talking to you today. Um, thank you very much indeed for your thoughts and your insights. Um, all that remains is for me, Jock Glover, to uh, also thank the listeners for your support. Um, I say it every week. I live in hope that someone's going to do it. But if you would like to contact us, please do so through either our webpage, which is www.squaremileresearch.com, or by emailing us at info at squaremileresearch.com. This podcast is only aimed at professional advisors and regulated firms and should not be passed on to or relied upon by any other persons. It is not intended for retail investors who should obtain professional or specialist advice before taking or refraining from any action on the basis of this podcast. Remembering past performance is not an indication of future performance. It is published by and remains the copyright of Squaremart Investment Consulting and Research. Squaremart makes no warranties or representations regarding the accuracy or completeness of the information contained herein. This podcast represents the views and forecasts of Squaremart at the date of issue and may be subject to change without reference or notification to you. Nothing in this podcast shall be deemed to constitute a regulated activity or an invitation or inducement to engage in investment activity, and it is not a recommendation to buy or sell any funds or investments that are mentioned during this podcast. Thank you.